I want to know the truth. This world offers me more confusion than answers. What does it mean to live in truth and follow Jesus? Who is he calling us to be? He has given us his word to find exactly what we are looking for. He is what we need. I want to start with some thoughts before I dive into our teaching today. I believe as evangelicals and followers of the one true God that we are called to pray for Israel. We're called to pray for Israel. Psalm 122 verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Romans 20, uh, Psalm 25 says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Israel. God made a covenant with Israel. God's covenants that he makes throughout the pages of Scripture are irrevocable. That's what the word covenant means. It's an irrevocable promise that he makes. When we enter into a covenant relationship in marriage, what we're saying is it's irrevocable. God made a covenant with Israel. God had established and set aside and set apart Israel. Even Paul would pray in Romans 10. Paul prayed, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. As you watched over the last weeks, the news, what has been unfolding, there's a lot of chaos and corruption right now in Israel. And I believe collectively as a body, we need to pause and spend a few moments. I will pray out loud. I invite you to pray for Israel right now. Let's bow. Father God, we do. We pray for Israel. We pray for that land and we pray for those people. We pray that The shalom of Yeshua Jesus, the peace of Jesus, would infiltrate the hearts of all of those that are residing in the Holy Land. We pray for the Jews, your people. We pray for the Palestinians. We pray even for the hate-filled terrorists. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would pour out your spirit. We pray for those Messianic Christ followers that are still residing there in Israel. Would you protect them? Would you raise them up to be salt and light and ambassadors of Christ with a message of hope, with a message of salvation and truth during these difficult times? Lord, we believe that you can silence chaos. We believe that you can restore corruption. You are God, and Israel, Father, is your land. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. But, Father, you have set apart Israel. Every person in Israel is created in your image. And so, Father, we collectively right now pray. We beseech you, Father, In Jesus' name, that you would pour out your spirit on Israel. Make yourself known.
show yourself strong. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is inspired. God breathed is what that word means. The Bible is inspired by God. The Bible is God's final and ultimate authority when it comes to truth. We defined truth last week as that which corresponds with reality. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind of God, the will of God, the character of God, and the glory of God. I declare to you that God is the originator of truth. If you missed that message last week, please go back and listen as we lay out a foundation on what is biblical truth. Now, as we open our Bibles, and I would invite you to open to Genesis chapter 1. As we open our Bibles to Genesis 1, chapters 1, 2, and 3, we read God's blueprint in regards to creation and humanity. Let me say this out of the gate. When you look at a blueprint, blueprints in themselves is not really that sexy. But that blueprint is going to give you specifics. It's going to give you details. It's going to give you design. Blueprints are absolutely crucial. My buddy Drew, who builds cabinets, he said, man, I had to pull these cabinets back in this week because we got off our blueprint. We got away from the design just a little bit, and we had to come back in and make some tweaks. So when you look at God's blueprint and you read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, it's just a lot of like detailed information. And Rick, as we ponder like application and we, we ponder narratives and stories, you're, you're, you're going to see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're going to see God's specific design and blueprint. Out of the gate, when we read Genesis 1, we hear God's voice in all of creation. We hear his voice ten times. Ten times we read the phrase in Genesis 1, and God said. Hermeneutics, the law of first mention, teaches you when something is mentioned for the first time, pay attention to it. Also, when you study scripture, watch out for those repeated statements and phrases ten times, and God said in Genesis 1, God has spoken and God's word creates worlds. Your words create worlds. But God has spoken and we hear his voice in Genesis chapter 1. D.A. Carson said the God of the Bible has personality and dares to disclose himself in words. He is a talking God. That's who our God is. So ten times, and God said. Then we see God's power in creation. Six times God says, and it was so. God opens his mouth, and things come into existence. 
Nothingness becomes something. When you start to study his spoken word, all of a sudden you see order where there was disorder. You see calmness where there was chaos. God has spoken. We hear his voice and we see his power in creation. One brother said it this way, that God, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach. And he caught something where there was nothing. And he slung something into nowhere and told it to stay there. And it did. He took the hammer of his will and he smote the anvil of his omnipotence and he caught the sparks in his fingertips and he flipped them into space and he called them stars. God has spoken. God has declared. God has the final voice when it comes to how we reason. Psalm 33, 6 says, the Lord spoke the word and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and the stars were born. So we see God's power in creation. We hear the voice of God in creation and then we witness God's pleasure in creation. Seven times in Genesis 1, again, a repeated phrase is, and God saw that it was good. God spoke, creation was born, and it brought him pleasure. Who is the originator? Who is the ultimate designer? Who is the one that created everything that we see? It was God. And so we read these repeated phrases. God said, it was so. God said it was good. Ten times in Genesis chapter 1, the phrase according to its kind appears. God, the creator, establishes categories inside of creation according to its kind, which means there's different species, there's different and distinct genders according to its kind. Five times in Genesis 1, we see the phrase separate or the word separated five times. Can you believe how many times God is so redundant in expressing himself? Just in Genesis 1, the word separate means to have unique distinction. It means to be set apart. It's similar to the word to be sanctified, that God separated. He set apart. He sanctified things unto himself. When you read Genesis chapter 1, God separated the light. From darkness, God separated the dry land from water. God separated the day from night. And then God separated mankind into two biological sexes. God did it. It is God's design. Our sex and our gender is designed by God, not assigned by man. It is designed by God. It's not assigned by man. I told a friend yesterday, I was reading an article with all of this gender confusion in our world. 
And one of the articles I read yesterday said that your biological sex is between your legs. Your gender is between your ears. I read that as I read this article and began to scratch my head like, so you, between your ears, can become a subjective style thinker and whatever you want your gender to be, it can be. That is the conversation we're going to have today. Looking at God's design. What is it? How does God unfold it? Again, we're going to be looking at his blueprint. And uh, as we dive into this today, uh, it, it will be a very interesting conversation because, again, it's not going to be about a bunch of fluff to it. It's going to be a lot of blueprint, detailed information for you. I'll tell you that up front. So when you study Genesis, God created humanity male and female. So then we start to ask questions. So what are the unique qualities of male and female? That would be a fair question to ask. Is there more to it than just cultural or biological uh, issues there? Rick, that's where we would go philosophically. Is there more to it than just cultural or biological? Then you would ask the question, did God design men and women differently? Does God intend for men and women to function differently? Should those differences be ignored and disregarded? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? These would be fundamental questions that we would just ask as we engage with some of the arguments that are happening in our culture, but we would want to go back to Scripture to say, what does God say? Can I tell you those questions that I just asked you today? And the sad thing is this. In our culture today, these are explosive questions. These are explosive questions, Hazel. And these simple questions that used to be just simple questions, they're not simple anymore. And culture is making these so complex. And so when you engage with people, you will say that science has their theories sociologists and psychologists, they have their views. But a conservative Christian has a total different answer. Why is there such differing views when it comes to this? Why have we moved so far away from God's design and God's blueprint when it comes to doing life? The Bible is the truth resource for me. It is the truth resource. It's where I go. And the Bible teaches that God created man and woman with differences, with uniqueness for his glory, Jeff. He did what he did for his glory. And I believe these differences must be recognized. They must be respected. And they must be celebrated. God created manhood and womanhood to image and reflect who he is. It's what we read in scripture. So again, the tension in our culture is this. What is God's design? Not what is man's desire. For so many, they're allowing whatever man's desire is to drive the narrative from a subjective humanistic 
standpoint. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 give us a basic framework of looking at male and female relationships. And when you look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it will help us form what we call a biblical worldview in regards to what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. So Genesis 1, when you read it, will emphasize equality. Genesis 2 focuses in on the differences, and Genesis 3 highlights what is the responsibility of humanity. So 1, chapter 1, I would write this down, equality. 2, what are the differences? 3, what is man's responsibility? If you dive into Genesis 1 and begin to study and ponder the equality piece, verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1 says, God said. Well, God's got permission to say because God spoke the world into existence and everything we see was spoken, thought of, breathed by God. God said, let us the Trinity, make man in our image. Let them rule over the fish, the birds, livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image in the likeness of God. He created him male and female. He, God, created them. So man, humanity, which includes male and female, is made by God in the image of God. What, is the, what does it mean to be made in the image of God or in the likeness of God? We've got to get this. You are an image bearer of God, which means humans are spiritual. We have a spiritual component to us that the rest of the animal kingdom does not have. We're rational, or at least some people are. God created us in his image to be rational thinkers, to be relational, to extend power to us. God has extended power to humanity. And the very DNA of who we are is that we're eternal. We're going to spend eternity somewhere. Humanity is created by God, designed specifically by God, intentionally male and female. But do not miss this. One is not superior or inferior to the other. Male is not superior to female. Female is not inferior. Female is not superior. So when God created us, there's no superiority, inferiority style thinking going on here. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Men and women are made as equal image bearers of God. Who's to reflect the glory and image of God? Male and female. Male and female are saved the same exact way. How? through personal faith in Jesus Christ. So when you look, we realize there's equality in humanity with male and female that we're equally redeemed the same way and the same way is by the grace of God. When you study the pages of Scripture, men and women are equal in value, equal in dignity, 
equal in worth, equal in value. So we make this statement here that the ground at the foot of the cross is level for all, no matter if it's male or female, whether it's, if it's Jew or Greek, whether it's free or slave, no matter what your ethnic background is, we all come to faith in Christ the same way through his marvelous, amazing grace that Jack so beautifully sang about this morning. I'm like, how are you saved? Equally, all of us are saved the same way. So Genesis 1, you see God's equality with humanity, intentionally male and female. And then in chapter 2, we see the differences between man and woman. So we start to get a glimpse or an idea of the blueprint that God has laid out, starting in verse 7 of chapter 2. The Lord God, God's been speaking, God's been saying, the Lord God bore man of the dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God it's three times even right here. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God, verse 16, commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may, you're free to eat, but if you eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. The Lord God did this. God's in control. So please listen to me, male and female, men, women, but guys specifically. Listen to me. Adam is placed in a leadership role in the garden. God put him in a leadership position. He created him first, and he calls Adam to lead the relationship and to lead the family and to lead the home. Man is given the authority to rule over creation. We're talking before sin. We're talking before chaos. This is what I've placed you here to do. He even names the animals because he is to rule and he is to lead. And Adam is commanded by God, take care of the garden. This is your role. And God will hold man responsible and accountable because he is the head of the family. It falls on us. Guys, then God makes a helper, he says, suitable for Adam. And her name initially was Woman, man ish, Hebrew, isha, Hebrew, Woman, who gives her the name of Eve, Adam. Why? Because he has been placed by God to be in a leadership position. So Eve is taken from his rib. And you will hear me say that she was not a spare rib. She was his prime rib. <laughs> so when she is made by God, she is there to be compatible, companion, to complement him. That is what God Create, hey, I'll make you a helper suitable for you to do life with you. She's going to be a companion. She's going to be compatible, and she's going to complement you. 
But Adam, I've placed you in a position to lead. I've placed you in a position. Adam is the one that got the word from God, even in Genesis 2, that says, for this cause, a man, a man, will leave his father and mother, and he will cleave together with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What are you saying there? Younger people, listen to me. Don't miss this. It is the man's responsibility to pursue you, to initiate with you. Don't you cave in to the cultural nonsense that's happening today and you take the lead. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It is our responsibility to pursue our bride, to love our bride, to cherish our bride, to take care of our bride. You leave. You cleave. You become one. Men and women are created equal with different roles and responsibilities. We're created by God to reflect God's glory to the world. When we're walking with mutual support and unity with one another, Josh, Hannah, listen, Daniel, Madison, what we get to do is to reflect the beauty of God to the world in which we live. No one's inferior. No one is superior. Alistair Roberts, I like what he said. He goes, man's work described in Genesis 2 corresponds to the task of the first three days of creation. It was naming. It was ruling. It was taming. The woman's responsibilities are associated with the last three days of creation, which involves glorifying, generating communion, bringing forth new life. The differences between men and women are crucial. God created us, intentionally male and female, to reflect his creative rule to the world. Man, you are to be protector. You are to be provider. You are to be the shepherd of your family. You are to be the priest and prophet inside your home. You are to be a self-sacrificing leader. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love her, cherish her, take care of her. The way God has wired women is there to be a relational encourager. They're so intuitive. It blows my mind. I'm like, we were talking about it this morning, Teresa. Like with Barb, the, just this intuitive piece of it. I'm like, I'm not dumb as a brick, but I feel like I am sometimes when I, I'm like, how does she know that? How, how, how does she feel that? How does she have that intuition about her? Women are value givers, and women are to be self-sacrificing completers. When we love our wives as Christ loves the church, and we cherish them and love them, listen to me. Ephesians 5.21 talks about being mutually submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we do that, our wives want to respect us. They want to honor us. They go, you're submitting to Christ. You're living a self-sacrificing life. Look at you the way you provide for our family and you take care of our family. And that, that makes it so huge and beautiful. Whose design is that? 
is God's. Larry Crabb said, these are non-reversible realities. Gender is designed by the master designer at conception. God is the, given, uh, is the giver of gender. Males and females have unique and specific anatomy. The Bible and biology both make this clear. Reality is we have different DNA, different reproductive organs, different external anatomy, different chromosomes. Who is the giver of life? Who is the, give, the giver of all things? God. Do you believe that? Yes, I do. Because in order to make sense of anything that appears to be senseless, I've got to go back to the blueprint. God has spoken. God has said. God said it was good. God, what have you said? I want to know what you said. And this is in no way to be harsh or demeaning of a person that's struggling with any type of sin. All I'm encouraging you to do is please look at God's blueprint. God, what did you say? Did you stutter? Were you shy? Or were you forthright with the way you've communicated? And I believe God has been forthright. So we see equality. We see differences. And then we see our responsibility to God in Genesis 3. Now, the crazy thing is, right out of the gate in Genesis 3, man became irresponsible and refused to do what God called him to do. Man was irresponsible. Genesis 3 gives us the introduction of how sin entered the world. Genesis 3, 1, the serpent said to Eve, the serpent has approached Eve. And the question again was, has God really said? So I said to you last week, the progression of deterioration that we see throughout the world is question God, ignore God, reject God, eliminate God, and you become your own small G God. You call the shots. You do whatever you want to do. That's the progression. But the question I believe also that needs to be posed is this. Why did Satan approach Eve first? Why did that happen? Because I believe that Satan was tempting her to hijack God's created order. Adam is the head of the home. I'm going to come to you. I'm, I want to try to mess with your mind. He is to rule. He is to lead. What was the problem? He remained silent. Even when you read the Genesis account that says that she took from the tree and ate and she gave also to her husband who was with her. What happened there was not an isolated event. He was with her. He was silent. And Adam's silence and refusal to step up to the plate became the issue. You named the stinking snake, dude. You named it. God gave you authority to name all these creatures. You gave it the name. When that snake comes with a message that's in opposition to what your God said, you could have said, shut up, and stumped it. But you were silent. And I've seen so many families disintegrate and deteriorate 
Because the man is silent. Y'all don't bother me. I'm chilling. I worked hard all day. Sipping his freaking bourbon and Coke. Watching whatever. And he's silent. He's disengaged. He's not involved. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about those things that matter. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Who sins first? Eve. The scripture says that she was deceived. There was deception. As God really said, she becomes her point of reference in conversation. But Adam willfully sinned. She was deceived. Read scripture throughout the pages. He willfully sinned. Who does God speak to first? Adam. Why? Because you're the head of the house. You're the head of the house, bro. Whose sin is greater? I don't know if either one really has a greater sin, but in my opinion, whose sin is greater? Adam, your sin was greater because God gave you the direct command in Genesis 2.16 regarding staying away and not eating from the forbidden fruit. You knew what you were doing and did it anyway in violation with God. You were not deceived. You just willfully sinned. You were apathetic. Adam is held accountable and responsible by God for his actions. Why? Because you're the head of the house. You didn't know what was going on? You weren't paying attention? Nah. No. Checked out. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, by one man, sin entered into the world. Sin entered the world through one man. It doesn't say one woman. It doesn't say through one couple. It doesn't say in this one marriage. It says sin entered the world through one man. Why did it enter the world through one man? Because God had placed the one man in a position to lead his home, to lead his family, to provide, to protect, to step up to the plate. So in the chauvinistic style culture that still exists amongst us at times, let me define terminology for you in a healthy way here. Headship is not about having power and authority. Headship is about having responsibility and accountability. We live in a culture where guys will think, well, I'm the head of the house. And they lean into power and authority. Dominance. That's not what it means. You're the head of the house. A posture should be one of humility and brokenness and tenderness, realizing that one day when God says, Tim, give me back my breath, and I stand before a holy God, I'm responsible for stewarding and loving my bride. 
I'm responsible for raising my kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is a heavy responsibility, Josh. We've got a baby. We've got another one on the way. Rick, that is a heavy responsibility for us. That is a heavy responsibility for you today. But sin hijacks and disrupts humanity at every level. And because of sin, God assigns, listen, 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 God assigns different punishments and consequences to Adam and to Eve. The consequences and the punishments were different. And I believe the punishment and discipline or consequences God brings are at the heart of what it means to be a man and a woman. Look at this, verse 16. God looks at Eve and the discipline, consequence, punishment for her is in two areas that are closest to her heart. God says, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. Childbirth, close to her heart. It is in relationship also to her husband. He says, your desire is going to be for your husband. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be all googly-eyed and when he walks in the door, honey, honey, honey. It means that you're going to desire to rule and control and manipulate him. Y'all with me? The two things, Eve, let me tell you where it's going to hit you. It's going to hit you in the relational sense with childbirth, and in marriage with your husband. I remember Barb, shortly after we got married, we were talking, and this was like totally new to me. I'd never heard this or thought about it. She's like, I know when you were growing up, your dream and your childhood dream was to play baseball, and your childhood dream was to sign professionally, and your childhood dream was, yeah, it was. She goes, you know what mine was? And I'm like, no. To be a wife and to be a mama. I'm like, really? We were sitting here the other day. Hannah goes, that's my dream, to be a wife and to be a mom. Really? But I had all these dreams and aspirations. I believe at the heart of that, maybe it's how a woman's wired. I want to be a wife. I want my husband to love me and pursue me and cherish me and take care of me. And I want to be a mama. I want to have children. And I'm like, Larry Crabb said God's judgment on Eve was on both her uniquely feminine capacity to give birth and her relationship with Adam. Her physical attachment to Adam would lead to moments of pain in childbirth. And her personal attachment to Adam would involve heartache and battle. There's going to be this conflict. There's going to be this tension relationally for you because of sin. Adam's punishment is way different. He says the ground is going to be cursed. Now thorns and thistles are going to come out of it. And your work is going to be exhausting. You're going to toil. And from the sweat of your face, man, it's going to get nasty. Eve. Your discipline, punishment is in the area of relationship. Adam, your punishment is in the area of work. What did God make Eve out of? The rib. The rib of Adam. And you're going to run back to what I made you out of. And you're going to say to what I made you out of, complete me, fulfill me. 
but you're going to battle with him, and you're going to get mad at him, but you're going to think what I made you out of is who you are. But what I made you out of is not who you are. Who you are is the breath that I breathed into your nostrils. You are a soul and a spirit made by God, created by God, designed by God. That's who you are. You've got to find your identity in me. Adam, you're going to run back over to the stinking dirt. What did God make Adam out of? Dirt, out of dust. And you're going to look at dirt, and you're going to look at work, and you're going to say, dirt, give me identity and give me worth and give me significance and make me, make me who I, I, I need to be. And God's going to say, stop it. What I made you out of is inferior who you are is the very essence of breath I breathed into your nostrils. I breathed into your nostrils and you became a living soul. The only thing that's going to make you alive and awaken you is an intimate relationship with me. Don't try to find it on the horizontal women. Don't try to find it in the work, men. You're not going to find it. But that strikes at the core of who we are. i got to work. i got to provide. It doesn't work doesn't work. So here's the blueprint. Like I said, on the front side, you get into Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and there's a lot of cool creation stuff, blueprint of God, but you go, uh, not the sexiest stuff we're going to read, but we better have the foundation and the blueprint of it. So God brought different judgments on Adam and Eve. Yeah. Why? Because they were different. So he brought different judgments on them because they're different. Yes. Because men and women are different. Here's my rep. I want you to think about this. Men and women are created by God in the image of God. Rational, relational, spiritual. God has given us power. Eternity is written in our DNA. That is God's design. Let me say it again. What, God's, what God designs, man cannot redefine. That, that, that's where things get hijacked. Men and women are equally created before God. Equal in value, equal in worth, equal in dignity. That's the truth. God created these differences... And we should recognize those, respect those, and celebrate those. God's design is truth. This is where we find truth. God invites us to submit to his design. The genesis of gender reveals that God has a divine purpose for every person that he's created. He's created you, and he said, it is good. So we need to get to know the basics collectively that God gives us in Scripture, but selectively, God, how have you wired me with the beauty of my manhood or womanhood so that I can glorify you? God has a beautiful design for you. Satan's desire is is to hijack God's beauty. He wants to take you off track. But God desires to do an amazing work, even in your life right now, of bringing restoration, even though where sin brought devastation, God goes, I want to make 
I want to make you new. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things become new. And he goes, let me restore you and redeem you. I would say that God wants you and I to walk in his design that he's placed inside of us for his glory. Why do I exist? To glorify God. That's my reason. Do I exist for the purpose of hedonistic pleasure? No. I exist for the purpose to know God, walk with God, and enjoy God. And I pray that you would walk in that even today. Let me say this as I wrap it up and we move into prayer and communion. Listen to me. There are people in this room right now that have family members. And it might be a brother or a sister, or it might be a child. It might be a niece or a nephew, or it might be whatever. But it's, it's a struggle. And you're trying to figure out, how do I love this person? How do I point them to Yeshua? How do I do it in such a way that I extend grace but not minimize truth? Jesus was full of grace and truth. How do I do that? How do I struggle through that? And we really do want to help you struggle well. This message in no way is designed to be an attack on any individual. This message is designed to lay the foundation and blueprint of what God says is true. So before we dive in next week to what is a man, what are the responsibilities of a man, the following week, what is a woman? What are the unique responsibilities inside of a woman? And we dive into that. And then we get into what is God's design for marriage? What should marriage look like? And then we dive into what should be our response as we deal with those that battle temptation of same-sex attraction, etc. We've got to have clarity as we start these conversations. And one is kind of building on the next, is connected to the next. We want to help you struggle well. We're not here to attack you and beat anyone up. But we want to see you submit to God's blueprint and to his love and grace and mercy and be all that you can be for the glory of God. That is our passion.